Welcome back to the Demonland Podcast. My name is Andy, and the D's are now on an incredible streak of 15 consecutive victories. We're now tied for the seventh longest streak in VFL-AFL history, with the club now in striking distance of our own record of 19 wins on the trot, recorded in the 55-56 to 56 seasons. We're now also only eight wins short of the 23 straight win record held by the Cats, but we're only taking it one week at a time. Joining me tonight, veteran Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Demonlanders. Good evening, Binman. Well, we saw what happened to the poor old Saints. They were just the next roadkill on the Demons' 2022 drive to success. And with a, there's a couple more uh, uh, coming in the headlights by the looks of things. Yes, uh, let's hope we can knock knock off uh, a few more uh, endangered species along the way. Uh, also joining us uh, tonight, Bim Man. Good evening, Bim Man. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. Good evening, Demonlanders. And what a absolutely fantastic afternoon of football it was at the MCG. I'm a big, big, big tick of approval for the one ten game. You get there, you can get home by five. You've get time to watch the replay. Um, it was pretty important too on Mother's Day that <laughs> I got home at a reasonable time. And uh, wasn't it beautiful at the MCG with the um, the G looking in absolutely immaculate condition? And it occurred to me something that we haven't seen for, for a while that I just love um, wistful thinking about it is the uh, red Sharon. Just looks just fantastic, the red pill, just reflecting out what was different. And then I realised how many games we play with a yellow footy. Um, we played no. so many night games uh, this year. Yeah, or and even the afternoon four o'clock yeah. game is a yellow footy. Um, nothing beats a red Sharon. Well, those four o'clock games actually, even when they start, the lights are, are pretty much on, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get into uh, uh, t- talking about the game. Uh, many. Uh, claimed the the Saints had been handed a blueprint of sorts, a blueprint that they could copy or incorporate into their own game plan in an attempt to defeat the Ds, and yet they sort of chose to ignore it and trust in their own systems uh, to achieve victory. Uh, That attempt was uh, dead on arrival as the Ds got the jump on the Saints, keeping them goalless in the first quarter, and then we went for the juggler in the second and effectively snuffed out uh, any chance they had of getting a sniff and the game was almost effectively over by halftime. The Saints made a valiant attempt to close the gap in the third, handing the Ds their first third-term defeat of 2022. But alas, uh, heaven was denied for the Saints as the Ds sent them to hell. And I've run out of mascot cliches. Um, Cozzy Pickett, I thought, had an incredible first quarter with eight touches, two goals. He's ended the match with 16 possessions, of which 12 were contested, seven score involvements, and the three goals... This is the other side of Cozzy's games that we probably want to see more of. There's no doubting his defensive capabilities and the forward pressure that he applies covering space when uh, the ball's turned over. 
Last year he kicked 40 goals, 28, averaging 1.6 goals. This year he's averaging 1.2. And this isn't a criticism. I just loved his game this week. He set up, helped set up the win for us and scoreboard pressure is an important aspect of a small forwards game. And just imagine the impact that he's going to have by hitting the scoreboard more each week and also producing the important pressure that he applies week in, week out. We saw it last year, and greedily, I want more of that. It's a great game, Cozzy. And just on the pressure that our small forward brigade apply, it was really evident this week how much we missed Cozzy and Nibbler last week when they were out on health and safety protocols. Nibbler with 28 pressure acts, Cozzy with 14. Nibbler had 11 defensive half pressure acts, which was the second highest for the Ds behind track. Um showing just how deep up the ground Nibbler gets. And then because he and our other small forward brigade are so fit and have the endurance to burn, they're able to peel off and gut run and get down the field to provide an option on the turnover. So don't underestimate how critical and how crucial and instrumental those traits and abilities are in terms of us being a threat uh, for the rest of the competition. And speaking of threats, it's not often that we've witnessed four separate players racking up 30-plus possessions. I, I read in the comments section of one of our Facebook posts that th- they, this did, in fact, happen uh, in the Anzac game last year. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a rare occurrence at Demon Between Langdon, Clary, Track and Gus, they've racked up 144 possessions, 53 contested, 89 uncontested, 23 score involvements, 18 inside 50s, 14 clearances, and over 2,000 metres gained. I'm gobsmacked that the Saints didn't even attempt to mind any of these guys closely and I'm not suggesting they would have won the game because as we've noted that when you stop one of our players uh, another just pops up and take their place you robbing Peter to pay Paul we've mentioned many times once again our miserly defense did their thing Brayshaw 11 intercepts Lever 9 Hunt 8 Petty 8 May 6 and now the undisputed and undefeated champion of the world Jake Bowie with four intercepts and I'll talk a little bit more about Gus in our positive sections finally our forward line was cohesive and goals were bountiful. One of our uh, our two key forwards in Ben Brown and T Mac hit the scoreboard with three and two goals respectively, and our medium to small forwards also made their contributions too with Cozzy's three goals and Fritch and Spargo chipping in with a goal each. I thought T Mac really put his hand up for a regular spot in his 200th game with six strong marks and 14 possessions. And George will talk about more about his game and what that signals to those waiting in the wings. Uh, he'll talk about that a bit later. Gentlemen, any general comments about the match, in particular about the Saints' decision to trust their own system, not really attempt to negate us or implement some of the already tested out strategies that have had some success in mitigating the damage? I I noted in our show notes, B-Man, that you believe that the Saints did in fact change their game plan, at least in the first half, and then went back to their model in the second half, which seemed to work better. You want to go into that? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... I think um, uh, Ratton said as much in the presser that they looked to control the ball in that first half, and in particular the first quarter. But you know, pretty much for the, the first half, and really deny us possession. Um, that was a clear um, difference to their normal game game plan, which we saw in the third quarter, which is much more ball movement, much more um, um, you know quick going through the corridor where possible, um, rebounding, slingshotting off half-back flank. They consciously were clearly in that first quarter tried to deny us the ball and um, uh, try to, you know, stop our ability to get going. It didn't work, obviously, in the first half. But I think uh, uh, 
uh, Rutten was saying in the presser that you, know, you try things and sometimes they don't work, and um, you know, and that sometimes you're over conscious about it was his implication, and I think that's what happened in this circumstance is that um, you know they just weren't getting any sort of fluid ball movement. In a way, it was like a a version of the, the hyper-slow um, model that Port tried to implement against us, not quite as dramatically different to their normal game plan, but it was a markedly different game plan than what they'd normally apply, which it sort of goes to the point I made last week about the strange comment from Wheatley about that the, the bottom or the sort of middling teams are the ones that are going to try to change their tactics against us using Hawthorne as an example, and I just... They didn't, and that the top teams who were legitimate, maybe top four, top five, top six teams like the Saints, um, would stick to their game plan, and the Saints didn't do that. So, within a week of that comment, both both are wrong, really. Um, and I mean, they definitely went back to their game plan in the second half and had more success with it. Um, you know, uh, but it was definitely um, an approach that they took that was different to their normal ones. And as for putting in the strategies, I mean, I think that it's a bit oversold. We talked about it last week, but, you know, sure, they could have gone to Langdon, but, you know, they could have equally gone to track and now they're talking about May this year and, you know, they could have put someone on May, but, you know, any of them would have been, you know, strategies that they could have employed. But it's not like just because Hawthorne did it and Lang has got only nine possessions in with no context. So what? What does that matter? They didn't win that game. Um, and maybe Lang has took um, McGuinness off, you know, took him away from the contest. So who knows? Um, but, yeah, it was definitely a bit different from the Saints. There's no question about that. I reckon if a team does try to man up Lingers again, we will do something in order to negate that. I think I have trust in our brain's trust that they'll figure out a way sort of around that. But also they can manipulate. That's what Uzo was saying. That's what Track said. They can manipulate a tag because that means that if they're going to go a hard tag, that Langers can take that player wherever on the park. So if they want to create more space at the contest, he can go 60 metres from the contest to create that space. Um, but, I mean, we'll probably touch on it, but it was a remarkable performance from Langers, 39 possession, um, and his running was just incredible. Just quickly, some of the stats I thought were really interesting is that um, we outscored the Saints by 36 points from stoppages, um, which is our best differential in any game we've played so far this season. Um, we booted eight goals from a clearance, which is a season high for us. Um, what was interesting, I thought, in terms of the, the tactics, and maybe this was pointing to what they were trying to achieve, but um, Saints outscored us by five points from intercepts, um, 41 to 36. Um, and we've been outscoring opponents by nearly 30 points a game from intercept possessions from round one to seven. We're, we're ranked one and now two but on the back of this weekend. So that, that was was curious. And, and sorry, and I wasn't quite sure if I caught it or not, but... Pickett had 12 contested possession, which is just yes. nuts, really, isn't it? So yeah. um, I, I wasn't any thrilling to watch. Um, just a, the last comment about a general thing about the game was I said to my mate um, that I was sitting with just before it started, we'll get a real sense of how wound up this team is in the first six or seven or first four or five minutes. Uh, and my gut feel was that we would um, do what we did to say to a top four contender no, this is the benchmark and we came out with an energy and you could tell right from the get-go we, we were very switched on and ready to go. George? Um, just just a comment for all the St Kilda supporters who aren't listening to this uh, 
<laughs> podcast. Um, this, this is a reality of what you're facing today. And I think it comes back to the recruiting from both Melbourne and St Kilda over the last three to four years. If you look at the players that both sides have brought in, we brought in May, Lever, Langdon and Ben Brown. Now, three and arguably four of those are uh, all-Australian quality or actually are all-Australian quality. And then you look at what St Kilda's brought in over the same uh, period. Brad Crouch, Zach Jones, Dan Hannabury, Mason Wood, Jack Higgins, Brad Hill, Dougal Howard, Dan Butler and Paddy Ryder. I'm afraid, fellas, there are no all-Australians in amongst that group. And when you go out seeking quantity rather than quality you finish up with the results you saw on the weekend. So um, I'm, I'm broadcasting to no one in particular here, but um, it is a credit to our recruiting team and to the people who in the past worried about investing so much in terms of draft picks and opportunities in people like the May and Levers and, and Ben Browns. They've made a huge difference to our club, but uh, the Saints are going to keep wallowing in this mediocrity um, with all these mediocre players that they've now got on their list. So credit where it's due for – I thought the Saints were fantastic on the weekend. Uh, their pressure was just brilliant. I mean, like, though, but who knows what that pressure thing is, but it was up around 200. And um, the, um, I'm not sure if you guys have watched the replay, but um, Buckley was in <laughs> – he was salivating over the Ds, but he made the point about that pressure that we were still – executing um, uh, our game, even under the most intense, almost prelim grand final type pressure. And they kept it up for the whole game. They, their, their effort was fantastic, I thought. Um, and it made for a great game to watch because they didn't shirk the issue from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, Saints. So I actually came away with a bit of a um, newfound respect for them and, and I thought their effort, I take your point about their, their list, George, but I thought their effort was just first class and, you know, I think they'll go, you know, they'll certainly make the eight and they'll push for the top four, I think. We have a caller on the line um, and I know who it is. Uh, it's time. Uh, good evening. How are you? Very well, very well, gents. Nice to speak to you and nice to listen. Ah, pleasure. Pleasure um, to have you on. You, you can... So I had a, a question that I wanted to, to pose to you guys um, and to people generally, and that is um, it just, it's just been amazing to listen to almost everybody in the press universally saying, you know, that we're the number one benchmark team now and it's a given that we're in another realm or on our own. And it's so easy to start to take that for granted and, and to start to think only about uh, this season being about getting to back-to-back and not appreciating what's going on week by week. And, um, you know, I was just looking back. Last season, we, my belief really started to turn um, when we beat the Bulldogs, which was already uh, round 11. So it's not even a year. And then we beat Brisbane, and I really got on on board on my uh, grand final guarantee at that point. And then round 13, we, we had that horrendous loss to Collingwood. And, um, you know, we're not even a year in. And um, and we've, we've had this glory last year. But I think you start to take for granted the things that we were hoping to see last year and which weren't there yet. Um, and which we began to see by the end of the year in, in buckets. But, and then you just, re- I've started to reflect on 
not taking for granted all the things that have been achieved and what we're seeing week by week, things like just how incredible the quality of the list is and how long it's taken us through three and a half rebuilds since 2007 to get where we are now. And I think of all the great players and the great teams that we've had over the years, you know, and individuals and, um, you know, the, obviously the Robbie Flowers. When I started watching, you know, we had Ray Biffin and uh, Greg Wells and Parks and all these great players, but we never won games. Um, and now we've just got a level of quality that I've never seen. The list they've assembled at this point is just incredible and it's it's just almost easy to start to, to forget that. And and just the effort, you know, I, I think the base thing you want to see, uh, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, that I really want to see each week is know that you're going to see a real effort as an absolute baseline. And I, we've moved so far beyond that now that you almost take it for granted. that, And the effort in the first quarter of that game by Melbourne the pressure that we brought. It was like a grand final. It was just incredible, I thought. Um, and, you know, the game plan now, you know, they they switched their game plan and we had to adjust to it. And we used to all debate, you know, do we have a plan B? Does Goodwin have a plan B? And and the way we're able to switch uh, the game plans in a game like that where, where St Kilda started playing differently and we had to work out how to, how to adjust to that. We're doing that now and you almost... You know, you've you got to stop and reflect on the fact that we are doing that and it's, it's just incredible to see it happening. Um, and, you know, and the players know the game plan now in a way that we never used to see. And um, so I, really I'm just fascinated around, you know, whether other people are feeling the same way that you, you almost start taking this stuff for granted and you've got to take a breath every now and then and go, wow, this is, this is just incredible compared to what we used to have. I'm with you 100% there. It's certainly surreal being the talk of the town. Everyone is pumping up our tyres, talking about us being unbeatable. And whilst I'm loving it and I've waited my whole life for it to be my team's turn to be spoken about in such revered terms, it does come with a certain weight of expectation. Uh, so much so that for me, I'm getting a bit anxious about it. It's kind of like a fear of failure. And not about losing any individual game here or there, because whilst you never want to lose, I feel we almost need to, at least in my head. Uh, but there's, there's nothing more than I would like to do than go through the entire year undefeated. <laughs> How good would it be? Uh, you know, imagine imagine a clean sheet season, 25-0. and 0, We'd be the only team in the history to achieve such a feat. You know, there'd be songs sung about us. Uh, we'd be gods living amongst men uh, in the football world. But uh, then the veil of negativity comes rolling black, uh, in, like a black cloud on a lake. Uh, you know, it so slowly envelops and whispers, you know, those bleak thoughts in my brain about going through a season undefeated only to lose the grand final. Um, but I won't let let my MFCSS creep back in. This is our time. We've got to enjoy the ride. And as you say, it's time. We could no, don't take it for granted. Uh, um, and I also agree with you in regards to our list. I, I do trust this group of players. Uh, we've we have an abundance of A graders like none of us who grew up in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond have ever witnessed in this side. It's a great time to be a Demon fan. I look forward to our matches this year against contenders like Frio and Brisbane to really get a true sense of where we and they are at uh, before I dare to dream of back-to-back. Um, 
but I'm not going to take it for granted. Uh, fellas, uh, have you got uh, anything to add or, or to say about what It's Time said? I just take a, a little comment that was made this week on on the couch. It was either during the Stephen May interview or just before. Somebody on there said um, uh, last year, around about this time, Melbourne players and Melbourne supporters thought they had a good team. The difference is today that Melbourne supporters and Melbourne players know they have a good team, and we're starting to see that. So, yeah, just keep enjoying it there. It's time. Yeah, I yeah. had a moment at the game on um, uh, when it was the game Sunday um, that uh, it, partly our effort but also our skills at the beginning of the game and the, and the way Cozzy kicked that first goal and just our general play and there was some just unbelievable bits of skill in the back line where we got ourselves out of pressure, out, out of trouble and there was five or six occasions when I thought, I was just stunned at how good we were. Like it was a moment of going, right, that's a pretty elite level of, you know, individual play there. Um, but it's most exciting when they link up and they, they've got each other's backs. And um, um, I, I think for me a bit of the challenge I've found, to be honest, is not so much taking it for granted. It's more that that a game like the weekend was great because it, I thought it was a terrific game. And um, as I said, I thought the Saints uh, did a great job in terms of the pressure they, they brought and they were up for the game and, and they fired their best shot. Um, for me, it's a bit, there's there's going to be a lot of games this season, like the two coming up where it's really about getting through and you're hoping for no injuries and it's banking the points. And um, that's an unusual feeling for me because even last year when we were on such an incredible roll, it's sort of, how many games did we win last home and away season? Was it uh, 20? 20. Oh, not 18 and 4 and 1. So even last year, it seems to be Say again. Sorry, it's time. No, no, I just I think we I think we lost four, so I think we won four. eighteen. Yeah, so even last year it was incredible, but each win was was didn't matter whether it was a bottom team we're beating. I mean, it doesn't matter this year, but it's more, you know, recalibrating, thinking about what success looks like and the importance of banking those four points, which is why I thought it was such an important win last week against Hawthorne because, you know, we there would have been no real shock if we'd lost that game. Um, you know, I think that's we're going to play a lot of games that other teams, uh, other opposition fans find boring because you know we park the bus in the last quarter and we control it. And um, um, but it is remarkable to think you know <laughs> so successful, so good, um, and a list that, as you say, is just incredible. Every line is good player, and this this list on Saturday was. But only two players different to our um, grand final, so we're almost that closest to our best twenty-two this weekend of the season thus far. Um, and um, geez, didn't we look every inch of premiership team? Absolutely. And you know, um, in, in terms of the Hawthorne game, just a quick one is that um, I mean, you know, we've we've moved on so quickly. We also, I, I was stopping myself from taking for granted the fact that probably a year ago we would have lost that game. Um, and, it's, and, and, you know, we went through that thing last year of dropping games against bottom teams and playing really badly. And we didn't play really badly. Like, I thought Hawthorne played really well, actually. Um, yeah. But it was one that we might have wilted. And just this incredible belief and resolve in the team now that they can be, you know, as we've seen, of course, in the grand final. And, 
you just see it every week. We've been challenged, as Goody said, you know, almost every every game so far, and we we respond. There's just a belief now and a a capacity to actually get up from wherever position we're in and come back. And it's just, uh, you know, that also is just an incredible thing uh, to see that we we didn't used to do. Uh, absolutely. And speaking of Hawthorne, one of my memory, and this is just goes to your point about where how different a space we're in than not that long ago. Back in 2017, we finally beat Hawthorne and it must have been the first time we'd beaten them for six or seven years. Pretty sure it was 2017, either that or the beginning. I'm 2008, I'm pretty sure it was 2017. And I was pretty vocal up the top of the Ponsford and there was a Hawthorne fan in front of me who was also pretty vocal and he got into me at the end of the game about you know, the fact that that was the first time we'd beaten them in ages and, but, you know, that they'll make, be making finals and we won't be and so that was our grand final. And that was, what, four years ago, five years ago. We've won a grand final since um, and, you know, it, it's changed completely. And knock them out of a final too. And knock them out of the final. I thought of that fella in 2018 <laughs> when we thrashed them the very next year. Uh, anything else? Uh, it's time. Uh, well, the only other thing I wanted to ask was um, what do we all think? What are we going to accept? I mean, while we're talking about taking things for granted, one of the things that we've got to be careful, I think, not to take for granted is that we're going to win back-to-back this year. It's, there's so many teams that have been up there one year and don't, uh, you know, don't, don't get it the next year. I mean, Geelong in their run, uh, you know, in 2008, didn't get it. Uh, went on to get two, and you know, kept getting consecutive years uh, when they didn't. And um, uh, you know, Sydney lost it after they got one. And then, um, you know, it's not necessary the fact that we're going to get back to back. And are we? I think it's important not to get shattered. There's so many things that can go wrong. You know, Richmond in that prelim against um, against Collingwood, just one player having a freak out of his out-of-body experience for, for one quarter and and that's the end of a team that should have probably had, you know, back-to-back-to-back. And um, I'm just making sure that I, this part of my thing is just living week-to-week and really enjoying it and not getting too obsessed with the only pass mark this year being a premiership. And uh, of course we'll be disappointed, but um, where are we going to sit if we don't win it? What, what's our pass mark if we don't win it? Well, that's, what are you guys that, feeling about it? That's why I was talking about the weight of expectation. Uh, everyone's, as I said, yeah. everyone's pumping up our tyres. Everyone's saying it's our premiership to lose. All my mates, Carlton supporters, they're all, oh, it's yours to lose. But I, I'm, I know there are some challenges out there and I know there can be, on any given day, you can just have a bad day or that player plays out of his skin. So it's not... It's not as no certainty that we're going to win it, but that's the expectation that's out there. Everyone's saying we're unbeatable and we're playing very well. We're sort of justifying uh, that, uh, you know, that uh, tag that we're being given at the moment. So uh, we can only keep doing what we're doing. We can only beat who we're, we're up against. But, yeah, that's that weight of expectation. Um, everyone keeps saying it. So it's sort of getting in our head that, uh, yeah, if we don't win the premiership, we've failed the year. Um, Personally, I think that um, like every year the aim is for the top teams to finish top four. So that's the the club's pass mark. Mm. Um, We're almost a lock for 
for um, first four. George asked about the odds last week. We're a dollar five, or basically unbackable to finish um, top four. We're two, into two thirty for the flag, uh, and personally, I, there's every you know there's no guarantee, of course, um, uh, about winning it. We can get knocked out in the prelim, but for me, it would. A pass mark is winning the flag this year because we're that much better. Um, of course, we that may not happen, um, but a benefit that two, uh, the only team that's close in terms of the domination of how big a gap there is between us and the next best team is Richmond in 2018. They didn't win it, as you noted, um, but um, they had actually a really soft run into the um, finals that year, which I've heard a number of players yeah. say that really hurt them because they had a lot of easy kills coming into the end of that season. Whereas our, um, I, I think it actually sets up really well for the D's because round 17, we've got the Cats. Um, then we play in Geelong. Uh, in Geelong. Then we play Port Adelaide at Traeger. Um, then we play um, uh, Frio. Um, and um, in, we finished in Perth. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah, in um, uh, Frio in Perth. Uh, yep, that's right. And then the last round, um, we play Brisbane. Um, so you know, and we and Carlton is the week uh, the week before that. So that's about as hard a run as you're going to get. Um, and when I first saw that, I thought, oh, that's no good. But actually, now thinking about it and hearing those comments about Richmond's 2018 season, I think it's perfect because it gets us right in the the spot where we're playing all our key competitors in the lead up um, to the to the final. So I, I actually think that's a perfect sort of preparation for the final. So for me personally, I'd be uh, past Mark is winning the flag this year. I know that's a big call, but um, I'd be disappointed if we don't. I think the um, the coaches will be right onto that example of Richmond in 2018. I think they were 7-1 at the same period in, in that season. They finished up winning 18-4 for the whole season, then got bundled out in the prelim. Um, the coaches only need to keep reminding the players of that, and that was after winning their premiership in 2017. But it's also the, the confidence that, that you instill, um, as has been men said, you've got to finish that top four to have a chance. And Richmond won two more two more uh, premierships subsequent to that. So um, you can't can't expect to be there on the final day. Um, they weren't. Um, you can only do the do the best you possibly can at the time. But um, they were certainties in 2018 as well. We're looking the same way, but you don't want to get ahead of yourself too much. Thank you. Uh, it's yeah, time. exactly. That's, that's my point. Well, thank you. And I just wanted to say um, I listen to this podcast ahead of anything else. It makes the most sense. Uh, you guys are the most informed, and I always appreciate the amount of work you put into it. That's um, great. I think we're all very grateful. So thanks for that. Thank you. Appreciate the Much uh, appreciated. Appreciate the feedback. Thank you. Good on you. It's time. Go D's. Go D's. Go Red Legs. That was that was its time. Uh, we did have another caller who was trying to call in the entire time. Uh, its time was on, uh, but I can't take uh, the call. It would have uh, dropped out um, its time, and uh, he was on the phone, so I didn't think it was fair. So, caller, if you want to call back, uh, please uh, do so. Um, if you do call back, you might just be on hold while we finish off uh the current segment we're on. Uh, George, you wanted to um, uh, tactics talk segment. You wanted to talk about how we score so quickly at times. So if you want to take that away, and we'll get a move on. Yeah, this is something that's become a hallmark of the, the Melbourne Footy Club in the last, certainly the last 12 months. 
uh, maybe a little bit longer, our ability to score really quickly and really put a team away um, in a very short period of time. We saw no better example of that than in the grand final last year, where in that third quarter uh, burst uh, from the midpoint to the end, um, completely and utterly destroyed the opposition and the the Premiership Cup was ours at the end of the um, third quarter. Um, so what are the factors that are going into this and how do we achieve it? Um, uh, there's a couple of things that I think are, are important and not one of them is a factor on their own, but combined, I think it makes for a really frightening um, uh, situation for other teams. Firstly, it's the fitness. Um, uh, the advent of Burgess to the club has lifted the fitness standards remarkably and and uh, Selwyn Griffith hopefully is continuing those. Um, and what that means is that uh, as Simon Goodwin has said in one of his interviews, it, it's the ability for us, firstly, to defend, to be able to defend for long periods of time. So the defenders are doing all the work, and then all of a sudden, the forwards and the mids are able to um, extract these uh, bigger efforts as required. So we swing suddenly from defence uh, to attack. We've seen this in the third quarters, uh, particularly. Um, our fitness is holding up, and uh, just as equally, the opposition's def- uh, fitness is falling, starts to fall away. And again, once uh, we saw a good example of that in the in the grand final. Um, if you have a chance, please go and have a look at the um, sounding the siren um, documentary. Sound the uh, la- sounding alarm. sounding the alarm. Sorry, yes, yes, correct. You're sounding the alarm, uh, and you'll see in that third quarter. Uh, Simon addresses the four guys on the bench who aren't the the movers and shakers at that time. Uh, here we go, boys. There was a there was a point where he knew that the defenders had done their job. We'd held them out, and now we were going to go on the attack. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, and people underestimate this, is the kicking efficiency. And I think this was has been a hallmark of uh, the arrival of Mark Williams to the club. Uh, we all know what Hawthorne were like in the 80s, 90s, and beyond. And, you know, certainly in the in the uh, 2000s as well, they had brilliant kicks across all the lines. Their ability to, to deliver the ball. The other f- important thing is that when you're fitter, you're less fatigued and you're le- more likely to hit hit the targets. But you've got to have those skills there in the first place. So um, bringing on um, uh, someone like Mark Williams means that when we're actually on the on the hunt. Um, we make less mistakes. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's been a big factor in combination with, with the fitness levels. The other one that, again, if you have a good look at the uh, sounding of the alarm, is the timing of, of our attacks when we do this. You'll suddenly see um, the Petraka oliver viney combination going into the middle, um, usually with Gorn, but uh, in the grand final we saw it uh, with Jackson is that suddenly the opposition are tired, Melbourne players have come off the bench rested and they just hit them hard. And all of a sudden, three or four goals go very quickly and the opposition don't know what to do. And all they can do is, like in the grand final, Bontempelli was off for the first two of those, I think. Uh, They've got to throw them back on because things have suddenly got away very, very quickly. It's because our players have been rested, they're ready to go, so the timing of rotations is critical to when we actually start this attacking period. And if you can combine the two situations where the opposition are tired and we're not, uh, and then we bring on our best players in, <laughs> to even back it up even further, that's what you see these these 
just amazing runs of goals on our behalf. So um, the other thing is uh, that that's working in our favour is the six 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 rule when we've got such a dominant midfield like we have at the moment. When you've got the Patrakas and Olivers and Gorns and Vineys and Jackson sitting in the middle and it's being reset, there is a very good chance, as we've seen again in that grand final example, You've got the best players in there who will get the ball and get it out to a forward line that's that uh, hasn't been loaded with defenders, and you create further opportunities. So there's these probably four factors running in here. Um, uh, so once again, I'd invite people to go and have a look at the sound the alarm, see who's sitting on the bench when Goodwin makes his call uh, that that we're about to go. Um, have a look at who goes into the centre square, have a look at who comes off the field for the opposition, and you'll see that there is a, a very good element of planning that's going into this. Um, so uh, for the opposition, um, I think they, they need to be very, very worried as people are starting to uh, uh, report on quite commonly these days. Sorry, I was just taking a drink right, right as you finished. Be man, you want to add anything to that? Just really briefly, I mean, that's I'm not sure if you heard the show when you were on holidays, um, um, George, because that was the query I, you know, asked about around how do we do that, how do we trigger that um, burst? Because that was my reflection on that show was that it's it, it's only become apparent to me in the course of the last season and a half is that it, in fact it's putting on quick goal bursts of goals, and you hear it now like. You know, um, we've got gears, surge, blitz, all of those things um, is a fundamental part of our game plan. It's not a random event that we're suddenly good at scoring goals in burst because every game it happens. It happened even in that game down at Casey. Remember, we watched um, the North Melbourne practice game, Andy, with, you know, how predictable it was that we were going to score three quick goals in that end of that first quarter. As you say, George, it's you hold the opposition. It's like an arm wrestle, and then you once you know their arms start shaking, you slam it down. And so, what I'm curious, you know, I think that's that's really interesting insight about who's on the bench. So I'll definitely look for that, um, uh, George. The other things that sort of I have no evidence of, but I wonder whether in that period when they decide that's time to go, um, and I've seen it on through the binoculars. Remember, we talked about it a couple of seasons ago that they put up a, there's a sign, they've stopped showing it now, but says red, red time, which is go, go, go. Um, and, you know, whether they set up a little bit differently and more aggressively in the centre square and look to get some clean wins, like you're saying, and take the 666, whether they use the corridor a bit more often during that period, whether they play on, like I mentioned, we're number one for play on um, uh, now. We're, we're um, you know, I, I'm, I, I don't have to look at our comparison. I don't think we were playing on as much um, last season, um, but maybe that's part of the factor. Um, but it's 100% a fundamental part of our game plan. It's a bit like push and pull because we get that three goals margin and then go back. And again, in that in the sort of that um, stuff around the grand final track, uh, sorry, Oliver mentioned that um, May was getting furious, saying, let's it, stop now. Um, and then him and Track looked at each other and laughed and said, no, we're going to keep going, which to me tells tells me that they have the ability to turn that on to an extent and then turn it off to an extent, which is really incredible because, 
you know, that like how do they do that on field and make that decision? And uh, it's, I think it's a really interesting point you make, George, about the timing as well, because it almost always is in the third quarter. That's when we surge. That's when we seem to put it on. And I wonder whether, it, you know, definitely the fitness is an advantage um, and teams can't go with us. So it's a bit like that analogy I was talking about, lifting the rating. But they lift the rating for a short period of time and they break their opposition's heart and then they, they drop it back a bit and then just hold the game from that point on. Every week we take a look at uh, some positives and some uh, improvements uh, that we want uh, this week. Um, uh, another shout out to our courageous man himself, Angus Brayshaw. He's just been immense this year. He was taken out of the midfield last year, given the role on the wing, which he made his own. And this year with Salem going down, he was asked to step up and take another important role in defence. And his performances there have been exemplary. Um, there is currently a threat on Demonland and George will be talking about this a little bit later on and, and that is what role does Gus take when Salem returns, uh, which as we've just found out um, is more likely to be uh, before the bye. Um, uh, so stay tuned uh, for that discussion shortly because it's going to be an interesting thing uh, to talk about uh, in terms of uh, what does Gus's role become when Salem comes in and what is Salem's role. Um, George, you wanted to talk about the milestone man, Tom McDonald, and what this means for those uh, waiting in the wings. Well, we saw Tommy Mack come back this week for his 200th game, uh, which was a great achievement for him. Uh, still 29 years of age and obviously um, still performing adequately enough, but um, I think the arrival of Tom with the ongoing argument about whether it's him or Wiedemann who should be inside was put to bed for a little while at least with this game. All of a sudden, uh, the as Andy mentioned in his, in his preamble, the forward line starts to operate cohesively when you put these sort of players in there. All of a sudden, Cozzy gets the ball in the forward line because there's hard work being done by Ben Brown and, and T-Mac that they don't get stats for necessarily, but it's just just creating those opportunities. Um, he, he surprisingly he, um, has won in all of his milestone games in his 100th, 150th, and now he's 200, so he's pretty pleased about that. Six marks, 14 disposals, and six score involvements, including two two goals, which surprisingly was um, almost identical stats to what Ben Brown was doing. Um, so I think the important thing with Tom is that he... Like I said, he was on the cusp of whether he comes in or stays or goes or back to Casey or whatever. He's come in and he's done exactly what Simon Goodwin's telling everybody who's on the cusp uh, to do, is that come in and make an impact. Set, set the standards for yourself and they're the standards that you have to meet if you want to get a game next week in this side. So um, I'm sure Toby Bedford's sitting on the side in, what was it, his, his uh, seventh or eighth um medical sub situations, wondering when in the hell I'm going to have have a chance. But at least he knows when he sees Tom McDonald out there, he knows what he's got to do to ensure that he stays there. So I think it sent a great message uh, to the rest of the players and the players at Casey. When you get the chance with this side, uh, you'd better take it, you'd better perform, or you're back, back there very quickly, as a few others found this week. He was awesome, Tommy Mack. And uh, one thing the club's done really well in the last couple of years is in fact, on a good one, I think, um, is they got Jonesy his 300th game um, at, on Anzac Eve last year, which was fantastic. It added to the night. Um, 
he didn't play much after that, but they got him to 300. And, and I do wonder whether part of the thinking maybe for T-Mac in this game was the fact that it was the opportunity for him to pay his 200 at the G in front of um, his fans, uh, in front of the D's fans. And if so, that was a really clever thing because it you know meant that the, the fans could cheer him off um, as he got chaired off. Um, but didn't he look great in that first half? So I was lamenting last week about him having lost the yard of pace. Uh, and he looked, he looked back to his sort of, He's best. He's, as I said, he's never going to be the quickest player, but he, and he dropped off a little bit in the second half. Mm. Um, I had to laugh at one point. He did a brilliant bit of play on the far the the um, the far side. <laughs> it's like the commentary, the opposite side of the commentary side, um, but the opposite side to the Langdon wing. Um, and then he uh, he ruined it by one of those um, kicks in board that turned it over into the corridor and it had a flashback to his days as a defender where he would do that three or four times a match, um, which almost saw him leave footy actually because it was, if you remember in 2017, it was go forward or bust for him because he just could not not turn the ball over from the back half. Um, But earlier he just did a magnificent kick. The kick that there were two magnificent kicks. There was... Um, Oliver, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Oliver, dropped it into a hole over the top of someone to T-Mac who jinked to the right to create space and then dropped it into the hole for Ben Brown to run onto into yeah. the open goal. For me, that was a bit like I was saying with um, its time before. It was like, is that my footy team? That was such a pure bit of football. Um, and it really showed what you're saying, George, about T-Mac in terms of, you know, he, he's... When he's up and about, he's quite confident. So he does do that sort of selling the candy. Um, and it was a lovely way to kick, but it was just a beautiful um, beautiful um, bit of footy. Uh, and it, for him, it wasn't just his marks, and it was great that he got his goal, but he was just in everything. He was competing. He was bringing the ball to ground. His tackle and pressure numbers were good. He, he had a terrific half of footy, and that's when we won the game, essentially. Yeah, it was a bit quieter in the second half, but, yeah, I was thrilled for him, and he, he looked in great nick, and I, I reckon it's got something to do with the red Sharon. You know, he looked good with a red Sharon in his hand. Well, he's got no chance playing in Western Australia this week, then. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's any stats about uh, red Sharon versus yellow Sharon for players. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, with the difficulty of getting good stats, we'll, we'll just worry him. <laughs> <laughs> about getting the basics first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, the other week uh, you had an improvement where you flagged the need for a defender to take opposition smalls. You've stated in the thread on Demonland for tonight's podcast that this improvement may have already become obsolete because Hunt is doing a fine job in that role. Is is Hunty your positive for this week? He's one of them. I've got two, Andy. Um Hunt, we talked about last week, he's been given the, the opportunity to cement his spot in the um, team as that small defender. Um, he's got another big scalp on his um, belt because Higgins um, basically did nothing and I, he was just about their most damaging and dangerous forward, I, I thought. Um, King looked like he was completely fighting out of his weight division against May. May just monstered him. And I'm not sure if you noticed, just as an aside, um, May and Petty looked to get into um, King at every opportunity, bumping him, um, harassing him, and it was almost as if the message was... Listen, young fella, 
this is where you got to get to. We are where we're the alpha dogs here. We're we're the predators, and you know, forget it. Come finals, and he looked at it completely out of um, um, his element. But Hunt's done a great job on Higgins. He also took some time on Butler. Is it Butler? Um, and did a good job on him. Um, so he's got Shea Bolton on his belt. Um, he did a good job. I think he played on Wingard. Am I right in thinking? Yep. Uh, and did a good job on him. Um, you know, I, I think that he's defensively he's improved a lot. Um, and if we can have that sort of player um, to play on those small forwards regularly, who, as I said last week, Jets is the last time we've had that a really good lockdown um, defender for those smalls. And, and Hunt seems to be doing the business. And he got good numbers this um, game as well, um, works super hard. Um, and I think when he does that sort of work, it shuts down someone like a Higgins. Then any metres gains he gets on top of that, if he does get the opportunity to, to get out in front and run, which he's not doing nearly as much of, but that becomes icing on the cake. And then that, that's great. That's a bonus. Whereas previously playing off that half-back line, if you took that away from him, it, it wasn't quite a liability, but the question was where what's his role then? Um, and, and he's... If he stays in the team, it actually throws up a really interesting question when Salem comes back. So there's the question about where Gus goes, but there's also the question about, well, to, is Rivers' spot at risk if Hunt stays in the team? Because, you know, you can only have so many defenders, I guess. So um, it's going to be a really interesting one. And I, I love Hunt, so I'm really hoping that um, he locks down that position and he's doing it so far. So all credit to him. I, th- I think you made a very important point there, Ben, man, about um, the way Hunt's game has changed. Uh, previously, uh, you know, the fans in the outer loved him running up the ground with, with ball in hand and, you know, all the opportunities that might or might not have created. But he's now using his speed to get to the opposition player and stop the opposition player. Um, that he's not allowing them uh, to get out the back. Um, uh, people like the Higgins and... and uh, you know, the wing guards are depending on that sort of sort of um, the way having the space out the back to be able to play. But Hunt's using his speed now just to shut them down, to stop the opportunities for these players. And that's a dramatic difference from the way he's been playing previously. And if he keeps doing that, um, he's going to be in the side um, uh, for a long, long time. So it, 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 it is a great, uh, great way, sorry, a great improvement in the way that Chaplin has um, moulded him into the sort of player that we want in that back line. And it's really interesting, actually, because if you look at Higgins, he got smashed. And so Hunt took him out of the equation. If the, the thing that Cozzy's really underrated, not well, maybe not underrated, people are recognising it now, but, you know, you mentioned it, Andy, is the pressure he brings. If he doesn't kick any goals, if he doesn't have many possessions, Cozzy, he is still a big factor in the game. Higgins was no factor in the game. Once you took his goals out of the equation, where was his pressure? Where was his grand ball gets? Um, and that was the other thing last week I talked about was remarkable. Hawthorne had like plus 20 grand ball gets, which is huge. This week we had plus 15 or it might have even been more grand ball gets. And, and part of that was Cozzy, part of that was Nibbler. Um, and, um, you know, it was really impressive. We smashed him on the ground. Higgins is the player who needs to be winning grand balls, who we just didn't give him any space or opportunity to do that. Uh, Big man, you said you had one more positive. One more positive is that uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I am absolutely loving Goody's presses this year, and they're really revealing. He's really relaxed as a, you know, I think he's lent lent into some of his idiosyncrasies, if that's the, the right word. Um, 
you know, he seems much more comfortable. But if you if you listen, you don't even have to worry about the subtext. You've just got to, to just to hear what he says. And just from this last presser, as an example, there's some of the things that he mentioned that I think are really not revealing, but they just speak to what Melbourne's trying to do and what he's trying to do as a coach. So he says, the first thing he said off the top was we kept the Saints to 55 points. Perfect day at the MCG, Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon, perfect conditions for footy. That's what they want to do. Scoring will take care of itself. Um, um, the, they will adapt to whatever. It's time to talked about this, about how two different modes of playing. They played slow in the first half or came out and moved the ball quicker in the second half. Goody's response to that question was, uh, you know, they'll adapt to whatever the opposition bring to us, which means that sometimes you get those seemingly sort of strange statistical things like, for instance, the Saints getting more intercept. Um, scores than we did, which is incredible. That's the only time that's happened this season. But we smashed them in stoppages, which we haven't done. We also smashed them in center clearances. Front half defense um, was in line with back half, he says. And I reckon that's critical because um, he's he's flagging that a, a weakness or an area of improvement was our front half pressure. He put it on the forwards to improve in that. And so he made a point of saying the front half um, defense was in line with the back half, um, learn from it. Um, you know, he talked about continuing to learn. Every game's a learning opportunity. Um, that was in in response to the question about what when you know other teams are throwing things at us, like um, Langdon being tagged or May. Uh, and his response was that every time anyone does anything like that, it's an opportunity to learn from it. Um, uh, he talked about Langers, and this one was the most revealing. Um, he was asked about the difference between 39 possessions this week for, for Langers composed to nine last week. And you know, it wasn't that much you know, fantastic for Langers after a, a down week the previous week was the implication. And he visibly bristled at that. Um, and his answer after he sort of, you know, after a pause was that um, he may have been down in possessions last week, but he was certainly not down in our estimation because he played his role. We don't look at possessions, he said. We look uh, we don't look at position, possessions as any metric. Uh, we look at um, whether the players fulfil their role. And for me, that's really, really important because it goes to Goody's philosophy. So forget looking at the numbers. Forget looking at possessions. It's whether they play the role. I mean, the challenge for us as fans is we don't quite know what the role is week in, week out. But I think after all of this time under Goody, we can work it out. Um, you know, that he, he talked about the high performance culture at the, at the D's and that it's all about the performance. And that was... Um, uh, that was in reference to the question would be resting players. And his answer was no, basically. He didn't say that straight out, but no, because we, we trust our high performance. We're a winning culture. We don't, we don't change things. And he said the final one and he's, you know, any number of other things as well. The final thing was in response to the same question was no, no, we set up the same way every week. We train the same way every week. We train at high intensity, all our preparations the same, and it's not going to change this week. Um, so yeah, I'm loving loving his presses. Each week there's a gem, and there was heaps of them this week. So um, you know, it's good to see someone really on top of his game. Um, interesting, he only signed a two-year contract. Maybe he's waiting for that soft cap to um, to change. And if so, good on him. Well, might as well just quickly talk about that uh, now. Uh, were you surprised it was only two years, uh, George? Uh, no, no I, I've mentioned on the demon lands and a couple of the threads in these matters. Uh, the CBA hasn't been 
uh, finalised, so the players don't know how much money's in the pot, uh, and that's why people like Jackson and Brayshaw haven't signed. Um, if you're a player manager, you'd be really remiss to uh, put pen to paper um, at this point until that becomes a little bit clearer. Um, and the same applies for the soft cap. The AFL haven't told us, or the clubs more importantly, what the soft cap is. So um, what's it going to be in two years or three years? Well, um, if you're in the coach's position, well, look, let's sign on for the next two years. Um, I think also that uh, from from reading between the lines that Goody may not have accepted as much money as he possibly could have, uh, especially being a premiership coach, and that sends a, a message to the playing group as well. Well, I don't think that's reading between the lines. Gary Pert actually stated that right, in, well, okay. in that, uh, I don't know if you saw that video, and I got the impression that uh, that might have been directed directly towards two players who are yeah, yet to yeah, sign. Well, not unexpectedly, but, but the reality is they don't know how... They don't know what yes. the soft cap's going to be, so you might as well sign on for two years. And, and quite honestly, look, both the CBA and, and the uh, soft cap, there's not going to be a great increase, if any increase at all, because the AFL haven't signed the new broadcast agreement. Um, they've got one of the newspaper reports said they owed the players $55 million from the last two years. The money's not there Um the, the debt levels are up, so I wouldn't expect to see a dramatic increase, if any increase, in, in both CBA and the uh, soft cap. Um, so sign on, get it get it put out of the way. Um, you can always make contracts for um, reviews in, in, in subsequent years without putting numbers on it, but, um, yeah, not unexpected at all. And, uh, George, I was wondering, I mean, I know you love the sort of financial aspect of the club and the management of that aspect of it, The it's been impressive, hasn't it, how they've handled the, the contract renegotiations and the, and the locking away of the contracts and the, the way they've messaged about that. And what's your, what's your sense of that? It's good financial managers are easy to spot in a, in a sense, and that's exactly what we've got. Um, it's, it is real. What uh, one of our, uh, our people who are on Demon Land, he operated in that area a couple of years ago, and it is really, really difficult trying to guess where someone like a Luke Jackson two years ago, what was going to become of him? When do you, how do you, how do you guess what his salary is going to be in two years' time? who's going to go out of the club, who's who's not. It's a really, really difficult area of projection and things like that. And we've seen other clubs stuff it up <laughs> successfully, you know, Collingwood being the most recent example. Um, so, yeah, there's a... But when you see players signing on and, more importantly, being able to retain your quality players, as, as we know, you need those quality players to be able to be successful um, in this competition... Um, when you see those players staying on and accepting probably less uh, terms than what would be available in the open market, then you know things are being done properly at the club that we can keep those players. So, um, yeah, very impressed with what they've been doing in recent times. All right, um, let's move on. Um, I don't really have an improvement uh, per se. I, um, it's more of a gripe. Uh, you might think I'm being a bit petty griping about the umpiring in a match where we've uh, had seven more free kicks than the opposition. But once again, it's a stat that isn't counted and that's the free kicks not paid. And my gripe this week is the protection that the St Kilda forwards were getting. I don't have the stats handy for how many free kicks they had in their forward 50 or the amount of goals from freeze. And that's not really the essence of my gripe. But I, what I take umbrage 
uh, in that same protection not being afforded to, to Max Gorn in marking contests around the ground. I pointed out in a thread on Demonland that Max would have had an extra five kick, five free kicks and B-Man, you took exception with the amount that I posited, proposing that he should have had an extra 15 free kicks. And I know uh, that you were exaggerating, but uh, I, I guess you're on the same page with, as me in terms of the lack of protection that some players get in marking contests around the ground. And in our particular incidents, it's, it's Max. And uh, to, for example, to say what what the St Kilda forwards were getting in this game. Um, and I know that our forwards don't usually get that same protection, probably with the exception of last week uh, when Ben Brown was looked after against the Hawks. But, uh, yeah, I just thought Max was constantly getting clipped and then it goes down to St Kilda forwards and barely touched and free kicks galore. There was one against King that he got, or the one to King, I think it was against Petty. Yeah. It was just a horror. Like, it was just a horrible free kick right in front of goal. Um, I was sitting on the um, uh, Trident's um, spot on the wing directly above the um, um, bench um, so I could see down and see the clock. They didn't have, they've, they've changed it, so I couldn't see their instructions <laughs> to the players, but you can see the timing clock to work out where, where you are in the game. Um, and for a long time, um, Maxi was getting treated for neck um, stuff. He was really actually in a fair bit of bother. Um, Jackson took a remarkably high number of um, hitouts, and we lost the hitouts in this game, and that was sort of basically because uh, Max wasn't rocking. Um, and so, but it was interesting actually because it probably just gave Jackson an indication um, that he's got a bit to go in his ruck craft. I really rate Ryder and Marshall; they're both really good ruckmen. In, in particular, Marshall's got big upside, and so mm-hmm. I, um, you know they matched us in that area. But he was getting clobbered again, uh, and he was really like they were, a physio was working on his neck for a good six or seven minutes when he was on the bench. So he was clearly um, in some discomfort. Um, and he played a bit like that, Max. He, he, I thought he had a reasonable game, but he dropped a lot of marks that he otherwise yeah. clunked. Yeah. Didn't quite look on. In fact, we, even though we, we played super great, I thought we, we were probably we weren't we? And we didn't, you know, we missed some opportunities. But, yeah, I, I actually think it's, it infuriates me because, you know, the head's either sacrosanct or it isn't. You know, it's, you can't have one. You can't have one rule for Max and another rule for other players, and and players get rubbed out for, for you know, um, for head knocks, which I'm fully on board with. Well, then protect him. He gets whacked three, four, five times a, a game. To be honest, it hasn't been as bad this season as it was last season. Um, but he was clobbered a few times this game um, and and was feeling it. So, you know, um, hopefully he doesn't get a concussion one day because someone smashes him in the back of the head. And if that happens, again, it's like seemingly one rule for Max, one rule for others because you get commentators, ex-footballers, lauding that sort of, you know, make him earn it type um, you know, uh, comment. Um, so yeah, I, I really think the AFL should look after Max, and otherwise, you know, we, you know, you don't want to lose a player of his thing for concussion or whatever. Um, when we talk about making improvements to this team, you only have to look uh, in the next few weeks to realise that we'll be getting back one of our most skillful halfbacks in the league. We found out today that uh, in the next. One to two weeks, uh, Salem's going to be, I think he's almost very soon back to training and within the next two or three weeks, we'll be back in the team. Um, So how do you find a spot for a premiership defender 
uh, of the calibre of Christian Salem uh, when his replacement has been doing an almost flawless job in his absence and I'm not suggesting that Salem won't get back in the team because he's going to be one of the first players picked once he is ready. So wh- what does our backline setup look like and uh, some who comes out of this team uh, to make way for him? Uh, be, uh, be, uh, George, I'm <laughs> talking to you because this is your point. <laughs> the reason I made this point was because I, I couldn't find anything else that needed improvement. Yeah, well, I, had to say. <laughs> I figured that Salem coming yeah. back into the side, is like you said, as a premiership player and his brilliant, brilliant kicking and brilliant read of the play and his intercepts, uh, you're not going to leave him out. So what? how do you improve the side when you've got this sort of player in? And, and quite honestly, I don't know what I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, in a way, you sort of hope that somebody's going to get an injury of some sort to be able to fight a slot for him. You can't. You know, Bowie's playing absolutely magnificently and out of his skin. We wouldn't want to top, stop his um, sequence of wins in any case. Hunt's filled the other side magnificently. Brayshaw's um, slotted into that wing, going back towards the halfback flank role, just as brilliantly and and probably has created a, a new role for himself that wasn't evident before Salem going out uh, where, where he's playing a, 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 a sole winger's role. Um, but it, it's quite remarkable that we're in this position of just a, a simple, simply, a, a, you know, once again, an all-Australian quality player. How do you fit him back into the side? So... I don't know the answer, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, theoretically, it's an improvement, but you know, how do you improve on 100% when you're when you're going at 100%? Because you've got players like JJ Rivers, um, you know, yeah. Rivers, who I think has been. I, I don't know if his knee injury earlier on in the season has had an effect. Uh, at times, I think maybe he's struggling a bit. Then he does a few nice things, but it's yeah. not sort of in droppable territory, but. Yeah, and, and I, poor, I, I think, think poor old Toby Bedford will get pushed out yeah. any further. Yeah. I think that um, Salem's got to come back to the halfback flank. He's an all-Australian <laughs> halfback flanker. And um, Gus will go back to the wing where that leaves JJ. He'll probably just go fill another hole somewhere or, you know, someone will get bounced out. And it might be Rivers, you know, it depends. Like, you know, who knows with injuries or um, where that might sit. But... I can't – I mean, Salem could go in a mid, but we don't need another mid. No. So where does he play? I mean, interesting about the mids is how often they're playing um, our, our guns, our three guns in the midfield at the moment. So, you know, there's no – it's not like the uh, Swans, for instance, who are rotating five, six players through that midfield. They, you know, we're just going with our A grade almost all of the time. Um Jordan has been great, hasn't he? Like he's, he's just been – he's enabled – Gus to play that um, role. And I read somewhere in the, um, uh, I forget where it was, AFL.com today, is that if they stopped the, if they had the All-Australian team now, is that arguably Gus would be the halfback flanker in that All-Australian team. He's been in such great form. He's had his best season so far. So, um, you know, he doesn't, the role doesn't change huge amount going back to the wing. But the problem for Gus going back to the wing is that he's then going to, potentially been a situation where he only gets eight, nine possessions a game because he's on the dead wing. Um, whereas halfback flank, he, he moves across the ground laterally a lot more than he does when he plays as a pure winger. Um, it's a this definitely put that one in the category of it's a nice problem to have. 
an all, an all yeah. Australian halfback flanker coming in to replace one of the best halfback flankers in the <laughs> AFL right at the moment. <laughs> That's and they sort of uh, the role that um, Brayshaw's created is definitely different to the role that Salem sort yeah, of plays. Yeah, that, that's true. A lot more intercept marks, a lot more going back. And and I think the other part of that is um, Gus is playing much deeper than Salem did. Yeah. Uh, you know, really, Bowie's uh, Bowie's playing that higher halfback flank. But the last part of last year, both Bowie and Salem were playing almost the exact same role higher up. But whereas Gus is playing a fair bit deeper and he's also helping out um, that defensive grid against the bigs, he, he, he's dropping back, getting a lot of marks, running back. And I think I read that his intercept marks were, was it 16? Or he, he's ranked number one in intercept marks in the AFL at the moment, Gus. Well, he had 11 intercepts, I think it was. For the, so he, got, uh, again, he had game-high 11 marks, nine uncontested. He's taken 66 uncontested marks this season, ranked number one. Um, in uncontested marks. So, you know, they're they're using him as an outlet um, that would suggest, um, yeah, he's in rare form. Uh, B-Man, uh, you flagged uh, forward half pressure as an improvement. Uh, do you have any more to say on that? So uh, it was a weakness, actually. Yeah. It was an area for improvements, that's yeah. true. Uh, but they improved it on the weekend. So <laughs> it was really, it was a weak a lag between last week and this week. But I just wanted to acknowledge that they'd really improved on it. It was clearly, as I said, in Goody's Presser, it was something they were focused on. If you hear, if you listen to T-Mac's interview after the game in the um, uh, rooms after the game, he's asked about that and he, he talked about an area we can improve is our forward pressure and he, he clearly counted himself in that. Um, um, but we our numbers were great in that area. Um, some of That was the number that... Um, our pressure number had dropped from one at the same time over last season to 14th. That was the one that uh, Joey Mantegna had put up as his Melbourne gettable. One of that was the stats. Our pressure across the board had dropped off, um, but probably where it most dropped off is in the forward line. Um, that resolved that this week when they really needed to against another finals contender. Um, so it's a bit of a watch in space. So they've got to keep... You know, that forward half pressure is fundamental to our game. Um, so, you know, it was great to have Cozzy back, but I think everyone lifted and, and heard that message about the forward half pressure needs to get back to where it needs to be. Uh, let's move on to uh, Casey. Uh, George, you watched uh, the replay of Casey's uh, uh, match against Southport Sharks, which was played at the same time as our game. Casey cruised to a comfortable 30-point victory off the back of a monster six-goal opening term. Mitch Brown kicked six goals. Chandler had 26 disposal and um, Tomlinson 23. Uh, briefly, uh, can you tell us about the match and who impressed? Yeah, the match was... Um Almost in a way unimpressive. <laughs> poor old, poor old South Coast Sharks, you know, coming from the, the the warmth of Queensland, although it's a little bit wet up there at the moment. Um, to finishing out at Casey Fields to play a game of football um, would have been a bit of a shock to their system, anyhow. Um, look, uh, uh, it, it's difficult to assess what's going on at, at, at the VFL level, at least because these guys, a lot of these guys, haven't played football for such a long time during the COVID period, now they're finally getting a, a chance. So they're only seven rounds into it, but um, surpri- um, quite unsurprisingly, in a way, be, um, uh, Mitch Brown with six goals, and quite honestly, he could have had 10. Uh, he missed he missed an absolute sitter when he was running 
running into the goal square wow. and managed to kick it into the bottom of the post. I think uh, I did so, that in juniors. Once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and there were a couple of other easier shots that he got, but he nailed a couple of rippers from the boundary as well to, to make up for that. But I think it gives you a, a fairly good indication. Mitch Brown is a serviceable player um, and excels at VFL level. He's at that sort of halfway point between... Yeah. Between the two, um, he's one of those break glass if needed emergency players. That's exactly what he is. If if <laughs> we have and, a COVID outbreak, you can bring him in. But that's about but it. It, but just as equally, it, it sets a standard for the other players that we're wondering whether they're up to the same standard. Well, if Mitch Brown is kicking six goals and you want to be playing in the seniors and he can't get it into the senior mm-hmm. side, that's where you've got to be. Um, aiming to, that's the sort of equivalent amount of work that you've got to be able to do. Surprisingly, he gets out the back a lot of times, seems to be on his own a lot of times, simply because he knows where to run and what to do and, and plays as a, as a what people call, a, you know, he's a real footballer mm. um, from that sense. So um, <clears throat> we're starting to see a bit more of Jacob Van Royen. He got two goals in this game. Only um, four possessions, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that's it. That's his worry at the moment, that yeah. he just disappears. But when he sticks his hand up, boy, do you notice him. You know, so um, the other thing that they were doing with Van Royen, and this is another worry for Wiedemann, is they played Van Royen in the ruck. I oh, did they? Where did we? Because Daw didn't play, did he? No, uh, Daw didn't play. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why. Um, uh, whether they take... Yeah, except he wasn't no, on the he wasn't emergency, a, no, he wasn't on emergency right. list, so I don't know yeah. what was going on there. But Dor wasn't playing, so they primarily played uh, Wiedemann basically in the first half. Van Royen did a lot of work in the ruck in the third and fourth quarter, hmm. um, which is pretty surprising given that that was only his seventh game ever um, with the club. So it's a big ask for a guy who's, you know, what, 18 or 19 or something to be playing ruck. And Southport, Southport Sharks had a couple of... Um, Typical VFL type rucks, you know the great big logs, <laughs> who just throw throw their weight at you, and and that's about all. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was surprising that Van Royen was asked asked to play that role, but um, maybe they're um, preparing him for things towards the end of this season, and certainly next season. But he does have that um, uh, that sort of fire about him that you go know that the, he's going to do something special one day. The other ones who played particularly well, uh, Chandler was um, uh, a standout as well. Lots of possession. He's playing midfield and getting lots of possession. He's just to, once again, just just that quality above uh, VFL standards. Um, Deacon Smith uh, down back nearly took a couple of marks of the year, um, and he he's starting to show um, some really good potential. But the the one who really stands out for me is Andy Moniz Wakefield who unfortunately got a concussion um, protocol this week, so he won't play mm-hmm. next week. But he has just got some real talent about him, and I think we're going to be seeing um, uh, him in the in the seniors should uh, one of those small forwards um, get injured in any way. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's got some r- real ability there. Down back, Tomlinson had an absolute field day because I don't think the Sharks had a, a genuine full forward. They kept re- resting their rucks down there, who, of course, being big logs that they are, didn't do much running. Um, <clears throat> so Tomlinson just kept picking off and intercepting the whole day long. He had 23 possessions down back and nobody went near him. So um, 
uh, unsurprisingly or surprisingly, Weed didn't do a, a great deal to to um, further his cause. Missed a couple of easy marks. The old same old story: get your hands on the ball but fail to mark it. Um, what do you what do you do? Um, you know, particularly when, as we spoke about before, T Mac comes into the seniors and says, "I want to stay here," and Weed has the same opportunity to make a mark and just doesn't do anything of any anything remarkable enough to make the selectors stand up and note. So, um, so yeah, the result, of course, was just another easy win for Casey. Um, they've got some really seriously hard workers in the VFL side there in Munro and and uh, a, f- a few others that, that come in and out. There's some interesting players like uh, Corey Ellison, who played forward last year and kicked a couple of bag, big bags of goal, who's now down back and, and obviously... Um, benefiting from training at a higher level from where he was last year. So um, keep those ones in the back pocket uh, for draft times. Just a bit of context, Andy, for the how well we're travelling as a footy club. We're on top of the ladder unbeaten. They're on top of the ladder unbeaten, seven wins. They're six points clear of second. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to fifth. So the team we beat touched up on the, the weekend, Southport are in the eight. Uh, had won four games um, prior to that, so they're seventh. Um, we play the Roos next week, and they're um, sick. They've only won the two games. Um, we're travelling pretty well when both the seniors team, the um, um, the twos, and they're both undefeated. And our women's team made the grand final, and uh, only a couple of months away from starting a new season. So we're travelling all right. Looks like we might sew up that McClellan Trophy. Do they do that anymore? Uh, <laughs> Under-19 combined <laughs> yeah. with the reserves and the, and the seniors. <laughs> Back in the day, that's what we dreamed of. <laughs> yeah, I used to look at that in the record. They used to have the ladder and then the McClellan Trophy. And because yeah. our twos and 19s were always good, we were sort of always up there. Yeah. Um, Ins and outs, uh, both Max Gorn, uh, knee, and Jake Lever-Quad uh, have been cleared of any injury concerns. The question I have for you guys is, should they be rested? And if so, who takes their places? We know that Goody doesn't do that, but if if there is some type of injury cloud, I think this is the week maybe to it. Uh, personally, I would rest Max. Uh, it's a long season. Give him a break, rest the knee. Back in the back in for the ruse in a fortnight, I guess with Lever it depends on on the severity. Obviously he's available to play, so it comes down to risk factor, and I trust the club to make the right decision there. Um, if they don't play, uh, I would make the straight swaps of Wiedemann in for Gorn uh, to take that relief rucking role as the second ruck, uh, like he did the other week, but this time for Jackson, and I guess Tomlinson to come in to cover for Lever. We know Goody doesn't make changes willy-nilly and I know that uh, he likes to keep the substitute uh, consistent, but with Casey playing at the same time as the D's last week, uh, Bedford didn't get a run. So the only other change I might consider is swapping Bedford and Chandler uh, just to get game time into Bedford uh, playing at Casey this week. Uh, Your thoughts, uh, gentlemen? I'll start with you, B-Man. Uh, look, again, we just got to listen to Goody. Yeah. High-performance team. One word is resilience. That's been their, their mantra now ever since Burgess came to the club. Um, 
they don't rest players. Yeah, that's so in terms of resting, but I'm talking about when a player's got a uh, slight niggle of an injury that uh, well, he's been cleared of damage. He's been cleared of structural damage, but <laughs> he's still got the knock. So yeah, there's a you're looking for a semantic window there. To, <laughs> he's either injured or he's not injured. I mean, Rivers has looked like he's played injured. I think all so. Lever looks like he's proppy. They're still playing him. They, you know, there was talk about against Hawthorne that he looked injured. No question about bringing him back. Um, they're not going to toy with with anything. Um, they're going to do what they did last season. You know, if he's injured and needs a rest, then maybe. But remember when we talked about resting? You know, I was thinking they should rest the players coming up to the bye, and they never did. And the obvious one from, if you remember, was resting Gorn for the Adelaide game last year because it was on the back of a five day break. He'd had a pretty bad knock the previous week. Yeah, remember he had a problem with his neck or there was an injury um, that was a pretty significant sort of concern for that point. Um, And he was in no doubt that he was going to play. And I was amazed that he did play because from memory, it was an even worse sort of knock or condition than he's got now. Um, I, I can't see them making any changes, to be honest. So, um, if there's an injury there, they'll they'll you know exactly like Goody said. You know, they they look after their players. They take no risks with their players. Um, but if it's just a niggle, um, sore, or then they'll play through it. It's it's the it's the Melbourne way. I, I don't. Yeah, sorry. Andy, no, no, no. You go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think. Uh, we would rest Max Gorn simply because he's the captain of the club and he has been the standard setter. So he he has to be you know, have one leg amputated, I suspect, before he'd, he'd not appear this week. Um, it's a flesh wound. It's a, yeah, merely a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't think that certainly Max, as Binman just said, the 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 um, performance team and the medical team will determine whether uh, levers available or not, and we just have to wait till the weekend to see that. Once again, we've got we've got options uh, to, that will slot in there very very easily. Certainly, in, the, in terms of Tomlinson, you know, especially after his performance last week uh, in the VFL. Um, the one I'm keeping an eye on though is Jack Viney. Um, he had 18 possessions this week and only had six kicks. He, to me, he seems like he doesn't want to kick the ball. Um, I remember last year he had problems with the feet um, but once again he's getting through the games um, maybe under some sort of duress uh, but but uh, yeah just keep an eye on that space um, I suspect he might be carrying something uh, in the same way that uh, Rivers is obviously carrying something uh, with his knee but um, yeah it's the medical team we have to depend on and, and we'll find out on, on uh, Thursday or Friday who's in there if Max uh, does go out for whatever reason, I really, really hope they bring Majak Door in, yeah. um, not Weed, because your Ruckman goes out, you don't replace your Ruckman with a part-timer. Um, you replace him with a fella who's toiled away for now a season and a bit, and we obviously didn't play many games last year for Casey, who deserves a crack at playing senior footy, I reckon, and, and he's the Ruckman at Casey, so... You know, that the whole model of having your, your Casey mirror the demon system and structure is that in case of, you know, you need a player coming in, you get the player who's played that role. And, um, I, you know, if Maxi doesn't play, I'd really, really love to see uh, Magic play. And um, if, if Maxi, for instance, does travel to Perth and 
you know, he's a bit injured for the game the following against North. It would be really nice bit of symmetry if Majak Dor came in for that game to play against his old club and, um, you know, he left there on good terms, I, I think. So, um, you know, it'd be nice sort of sort of a nice thing, I think, if he does get to play, um, particularly if, you know, he gets to play against the Roos. Yeah, I think that's really important. If we're going to replace a ruck, you replace him with a ruck, not not a part-timer. Um, uh, and and Weed's not a great ruck in, at the best of times. You know, he's, he's short compared to what, what ruckmen are these days in the first place. But um, uh, as ruck, rucking is um, a collision sport, effectively, in the middle. Now, the fortunate thing this week is that both Natanui and I think his name's Williams... Um, are both out. Uh, Their second string has um, done a hamstring, of course. So the last two games, they've had a uh, a 21-year-old defender filling in the role in ruck. Um, so there's not going to be much in the way of competition, but it is the, the perfect opportunity to play someone like Magic Door. You know, he he will be able to overpower um, someone like that. I think quite successfully. Um, what's the point of bringing in a weed who's a second stringer? Um, to try and do the role, and we can't expect Jackson to be taking the full load of the ruck um, for the same reasons. He's he's uh, young, hasn't got the body yet, so um, uh, use Majak Door while we've got him there. You know, the if the uh, glass needs to be broken, if needs be, but um, I don't think it'll be broken in the first case because I, I think Max will play. All right, uh Opposition watch time. The D's uh, make their long-awaited return to the site of their famous drought-breaking premiership. Optus Stadium no longer holds any fear for this team, and more so as the Eagles are a shell of the team that they once were. Uh, well, at the time I was writing my notes, uh, Shuey and Yo uh, were set to perhaps return. Uh, Shuey's got a... Um, a hamstring uh, complaint and he missed last week, so they weren't sure whether he'd be back this week. Uh, Elliot Yo, in the meantime, has gone into health and safety protocols. I believe that the tweet that I saw mentioned that Willie Rioli would be going home for some reason. Um, didn't mention why. And that uh, Hearn uh, might, be, um, might not be playing either, might be rested, was said. <laughs> so to me... That says tanking. I don't know. I don't want to accuse anyone of doing anything. But if you, they're in such dire straits now and you're going to rest a player, um, unless he's actually injured. But uh, look, uh, uh, many of the same names that have terrorised us in the past are still there. Uh, Bin Man, uh, Will, uh, uh, can you tell us if there's going to be any fight left in this old bird? I got up. I watched this week, and it's pretty easy. Is that they've fallen off a very, very big cliff? Um, West Coast, they're in a bit of bother, I reckon, because yeah. you know they've got to make the hard call. They've got to do what Melbourne do, and I forget the number we talked about it a few weeks ago. Melbourne turned over like twenty players in the two, three year period under Goody, um, including getting rid of players that I wouldn't have done. So you know, I was wrong. Uh, you know about Watsy. Um, Hogan, you know, they're all of, you know, some pretty good players got turned over. That's what West Coast have got to do. Um, Elliot Yo is health and safety, but it's not for COVID related. It's because he's carrying around a beer gut. And so he's got, a, he's got a, he's got a risk of diabetes too, I think. That's his issue. Um, I, I think they're in a, I mean, the whole nightclub thing that just happened indicates that there's some, 
problems there at that footy club. Seven players going out at the period at the moment when the coaches ask them not to and they go to a nightclub and there's 12,000 COVID cases in a city of a million and a half people. Um, just absolutely ridiculous. And that's something that Melbourne wouldn't even be close to be thinking about. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, they're in a bit of a world of pain. And they're, I mean, their game plan is is old-fashioned um, and they're not fit enough. Uh, and they were excruciatingly bad um, against the Tigers the, the, the last week. Um, there's not much to say about their ability. However, what I would say is that don't be shocked if we only win this game by 40 or 50 points because I can't see us playing any differently. We'll, we'll get a lead, we'll get a 4-5 goal lead and then we'll do what we're doing. I mean, we might even play deeper, for instance, or, you know, we're not going to look to to thrash this team. Um, we'll, we'll play exactly how we've played. I expect maybe the margin will be, you know, 40, 50 points as opposed to 25, 30 points. Um, so expect... Demon land to blow up a bit about we should have won by 639 points and I can't believe a good team would have buried this team or um, so you know that's my prediction for this game a 42 point win you can take that to the bank. You might be hearing me complain next week that it was an opportunity loss for a percentage uh, boost and is it an opportunity lost if we don't put them to the sword I mean no because it's as Goody said, it's every week there's an opportunity to learn and um, that's what we'll do. We'll learn how to hold a 49-point lead or 42-point <laughs> lead for like we'll probably get the 42-point lead by the 16-minute mark of the first quarter and that'll be the margin at the end of the game and people will go bananas. So, And, and the, the argument about percentage applied when we're trying to get into the eight. Yeah, yeah, well, at the bottom end, it make make a big difference, as we found out. Um, but when you're winning the game, percentage when you're winning games, percentage doesn't matter in 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 a sense. No, when you win 18 plus games. I mean, yeah. we'll lose we'll lose two or three games, but let's say we win 18, a percentage you could care well, less about percentage. No one's going to get closest. We're already what four eight points clear of fourth and percent ten fifteen percent or something. Oh, look, the, the, the important games are going to come down. We play both Frio and, and Brisbane twice. They're eight-point mm. games, so they're, they're, that'll sort out percentage. But if we yep. if we drop some of those, then percentage might come into factor because we do want to finish top two, I guess. That's got to be the goal. It's not just top four anymore. Yeah, but the, the question is if we don't beat Frio and we don't beat Brisbane, again, percentage doesn't matter. No. Because, yeah, so... Um, but I, th- I think we'll hold, hold our own against those regardless. Mm. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with Ben, man. Don't expect to see a 100-point drumming. I would be very surprised if it comes out of that. There's, there's no point in busting yourself no. um, at, at this point of the season. It's round nine you know, out of a 22 home and away um, game season for a start-off. So, um, yeah. This will be the demon version of resting while we're not resting. Because, you know, we'll do what we need to do to get the four points, maybe a bigger buffer than, you know, 25 points or whatever, and then we'll just hold them. You know, we can take it to the bank. That's what's going to happen. That's how we play. Uh, And it makes sense. In a long season, why spend your pennies against a team? Richmond, sure, go for it. Kick 120 points. That might be the difference between them making the eight and not making the eight. It's not going to make a scrap of difference for us. So why burn any uh, you know, spend any of your uh, petrol tickets. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's again, it's like I said before, to its time, it's, we're going to have a bunch of these games where, you know, 
it's it would be a total shock if we lose. Um, it would, you know, I, I think it's a real problem for the AFL to be honest. Is that West Coast? I, I was saying to a, um, a mate today is that it's been a long time in footy. I reckon since there's been two teams as poor as North Melbourne and West Coast this season. It's a real problem for the AFL. There's a big gap opening between the top four. I, I gave us. I was completely. We're thirty-seven point um, percentage points clear of Carlton in fourth percent, uh, fourth position, and eight points. You know, but past four, Carlton are, are they in fourth at the moment? They're not a top four team. You know, so they, really, their supporters know, certainly think they are. <laughs> the quality drops away, and to have two teams down the bottom of, of the ladder. I mean, North could only score twenty-four points last week. Here's something for the just as how poor North is in on the punting front. West Coast are $19 to win this game in a mm. two-horse race. Have a guess what North Melbourne are to beat Melbourne the following week. They're $43. That means if you put a dollar on North Melbourne now, you'll get 43 back in a two-horse race. Uh, is that – I mean, that's insane. That, like, I can't recall ever. We're a dollar four for that. So, basically, you can't – you know, you'd have to put your house on it to get your 4% interest. Um, so, that's remarkable. I might put some money on North. Yeah. Go, go the kangaroos. Yeah, <laughs> I'll put some money on Tabcor shares then. So, well, here's a here's a here's a one to consider. I, I'm starting to think that big call, but I, I think there's a, a big difference in the AFL at the moment. That is that you need the defensive system that Melbourne's got to win a flag. Yes. That's the last six flags. West Coast is the outlier. Everyone else has been won by a defensive thing, or in particular Richmond and Melbourne, less so the Dogs perhaps. Um, yeah, well, definitely less so the Dogs back in 2016. But all of the Richmond ones and Melbourne are built on that defensive system. You're not going to win a flag without it, and I think only Fremantle have got it. So they're currently 12 to to win the flag, and so not a bad odds. And, and I'm increasingly thinking it's us and Fremantle and a gap even back to Brisbane because they've got an old-school defensive system. They've got a good line. They've got a really great... Great list, but they've got an old school defensive system, which I don't think is going to win a flag in this next two or three years. You don't rate Brisbane's forward line at all? Yeah, I do. I rate they're right across the board. They're, 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 I think, the second most talented list uh, in the AFL. We're number one, and they're not too far behind. They've, they've got terrific players across every line, but they've got a defensive system that's circa 2012, uh, and it's not going to do the business. And you look at the Lions, it's not like they're on a trajectory that's going up. They've been knocked out of finals for, what, the last – is it the last three seasons? Um, so, you know, their list isn't that much better than it was um, last year. Um, and so they went out in straight sets last season. Uh, straight sets, was it? They got beaten by us. Um, and they get beat the next week. Yeah. So, um, you know, like history would say that they haven't got the team to, to – I think they haven't got the system to go all the way. They've got the players. But, yeah, definitely rate their forward line. Um, I was just looking up uh – the North Melbourne Melbourne odds and on the TAB, $17 North Melbourne, $1.01. Take the 43s. <laughs> All right, boys. Uh, I think we'll end the show there. Thank you, George. Thank you, B-Man. Thank you to It's Time. Um, and thank you for listening. We'll be back to do it all again next week. Uh, go Demons. Go Red Leggers. <laughs> <laughs>